Immunocast is brought to you by Thermo Fisher Scientific, creators of Immunocast-specific IgE diagnostics and FADIA laboratory systems. I'm Gary Falsitano, a licensed PA with over 11 years experience in allergy and immunology. And I'm Luke Lemons with over five years of experience writing for healthcare providers and educating on allergies. You're listening to Immunocast, your source for medically and scientifically backed allergy insights. Hi, welcome to Immunocast and our first Allergy After Dark episode. These episodes are going to be 18 and older. Uh, We're going to be talking about allergies in a more adult setting. So when it comes to, let's say, alcohol allergy, cannabis allergy, and in this episode's case, intimacy-related exposures. So if you're listening to Immunocast on speaker, you might want to take it off speaker. Also, don't listen to podcasts in public on speaker. It's it's not cool to everyone else around you. Um, but just just a warning that we we are going to be talking about some adult content here. Yeah. So today's conversation, I think, is important for a lot of reasons. You know, this is our Valentine's Day issue. We've we've got Valentine's Day coming up, so we decided to to really focus the content around uh, intimate partner exposures. And I think there'll be some very important uh, take-homes for our primary care audience around um, anticipatory guidance for their patients with with food allergy, and you know the the importance of including a sexual history, you know, w- when we're assessing patients uh, in general. Yeah, and in these cases that we're going to be talking about today, they're they're rare. We don't want to make this sound like every patient who has a severe allergy may also have these sorts of reactions. But I still think that they're worth mentioning to speak to what you had mentioned, Gary, educating patients who are sexually active and do have allergies. Because oftentimes when we do think of allergies and intimate related exposures, it's usually latex because of condoms. And also uh, human seminal plasma hypersensitivity, which is an analogy to human semen. But that that still is very rare with only about 40,000 women in the U.S. who are affected by that. I mean, that's exactly right. Uh, we do think these numbers, though, are somewhat underreported given the, uh, you know, the sensitive nature involved and also uh, the potential for uh, some of these reactions to occur and people not to be able to exactly relate why they're experiencing their symptoms. So both from an, uh, you know, from an unawareness uh, standpoint and also from a sensitivity standpoint, they are, un, uh, you know, underreported, but it's still relatively rare. And and we keep mentioning uh, the phrase intimacy-related exposures, and this could be um, intercourse, oral intercourse, and kissing even too. So Gary, I, I think you have um, a case here about actually somebody who did have a reaction due to just kissing. That's exactly right. So let's start with our first case. This is um, entitled The Kiss of Death. It uh, was published in 2003 in Mayo Clinic Proceedings. It details a, uh, a young woman who had a, uh, a history of uh, urticarial reactions uh, after uh, touching shrimp and lobster. She was seen in the emergency department after kissing her boyfriend. So, so she had gone to the ER after kissing her boyfriend who also worked with her. And this is actually important, the, the, the relationship, because where she was employed was a seafood restaurant. Um, she was around a lot of the allergens that were uh, that could cause a reaction in her. And she actually would wear gloves when she was serving out food. Sometimes she'd have rashes because of that, just by skin contact alone. And after work, when she had met up with her, her boyfriend, who she who 
works with her as well and who had eaten shrimp earlier in the night, they had kissed and we saw this reaction turn, uh, I would say severe, correct, Gary? She, did she go into anaphylaxis? That's absolutely correct. So she had quite a number of symptoms, including angioedema, throat swelling, diffuse flushing or to carry abdominal cramps, nausea, severe shortness of breath, and hypotension. So pretty dramatic uh, symptoms. She went to the emergency department and was treated uh, successfully with, with multiple uh, interventions and subsequently discharged. And, and, and one of the other uh, important, well, I, I think that the biggest takeaway of this study, and they say this at the very end, uh, they, they really want to call to action, carefully counseling all patients who are allergic to food. And they say, quote, that they must avoid exposure to offending proteins via all potential routes of contact, including kissing and touching. So again, just, just nailing home that that patient management conversation with people who do have allergies and letting them know that you don't have to just eat a food in order to react, right? That's no, that's exactly right. You can have, you know, various types of exposures. Um, and, you know, it, it's really not all that rare. In a letter published in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, it's entitled Food Allergies and Kissing. They talk about a study that was done at University of California, Davis, where they looked at 379 cases of IgE-mediated food allergy, and they surveyed those patients to see if any of them had reactions after kissing. And, and actually, uh, a little over 5% of those patients actually reported symptoms of allergy after, uh, after kissing. And it's not ju just kissing. To, to go into our next study, and this is a tragic case study as well, but these, these reactions can come out of even oral sex. That's correct. I mean, you know, typically what's been reported mostly in the literature has been um, cases of, of reactions after, after vaginal, you know, heterosexual sex. This case actually, and as you said, a really tragic case, was reported um, in uh, actually a male-to-male intimate contact. So this is a case of two adolescents who met on a, uh, on a popular dating phone application. So, you know, again, kind of relatively new. It was published in um, Allergy, Asthma, and Clinical Immunology in 2021. So these adolescents met. The one individual had a longstanding history of asthma and peanut allergy. The other individual had eaten peanut, actually peanut butter, in the hours before he, uh, he met the other, the other person. They were very careful in pointing out that, uh, that there was no kissing involved in their contact, but the male that with the peanut al allergy actually received fellatio, while the other male who had eaten peanut butter was the one uh, performing the fellatio. And apparently during this contact, uh, the peanut allergen was transferred from the male who had eaten the peanuts oral mucosa to the peanut allergic patients, uh, urethral uh, meatus and mucosa. And right when the reaction started to happen, and this is why it's so unfortunate, is th this patient, like you had mentioned, had asthma and a peanut allergy. They had came prepared with the medication that their provider probably counseled them on. They had their inhaler and they also had an epinephrine auto-injector. And what happened next was when this reaction happened, they had assumed that they were having an asthma attack. Yeah, the patient experienced just shortness of breath and wheezing and, and no other symptoms um, during the encounter. So it's reported that he used his inhaled bronchodilator and then subsequently collapsed. 
the you know 911 system was activated. He was uh, resuscitated in the field as well as in the hospital. He ended up succumbing actually um, the next day. So, you know, to your point, Luke, he was very prepared in that he had a bronchodilator for his asthma and he had an epinephrine auto-injector. However, I don't think he recognized that the symptoms he was experiencing were due to an allergic reaction. He assumed they were, it, it appears he assumed that they were related to an asthma exacerbation. And these these asthma attacks and, and food allergy reactions are not uncommon. I mean, in this, the, the way in which this one happened is uncommon, but we see that asthma's relation to food allergy is, is very closely tied when it comes to severity of reaction. Is that right, Gary? That's correct. And I, you know, the people that have the most severe food allergy reactions and actually the highest correlation of fatal food allergy reactions is in those patients who have a comorbidity of asthma, especially asthma that's not well controlled, but even asthma that is. So that's why I think it's so important to give that anticipatory guidance to our patients with food allergy and asthma that they really need to be have a very low uh, threshold of response and use of their epinephrine auto-injector if they at all think they may be experiencing allergy-related symptoms. And while this is a, a tragic case, uh, the, the other studies that we have related to food allergy and the transfer uh, via intimate exposure aren't as severe. So um, there's another case we have here. It's called uh, a nutty case, rare presentation of allergic vaginitis. And uh, who who published this study, Gary? It was... Yeah. So this was published in Annals of Allergy and Asthma and Immunology in 2022 as part of their medically challenging case abstract uh, series. And this was a, a 28-year-old woman who was experiencing vaginitis after uh, intercourse with with her partner. There wasn't any obvious allergy involved, but she was experiencing uh, pain and burning, you know, after intercourse, and she was worked up for vaginitis. So, you know, a- as we know, you know, vaginitis can have many causes. They were able to rule out infectious causes, and that's when her food allergy history, she had a history of being allergic to both peanuts and tree nuts. Her food allergy history, um, you know, caught their eye, and, and they... Um, they thought, well, you know, maybe we should try a targeted elimination diet on the uh, on the part of her partner to to get peanuts and tree nuts out of his diet and see if that affects the situation. And did it work? It did. It did. So she was subsequently able to have uh, unprotected uh, intercourse with him. They were uh, trying to conceive. Um, the case doesn't discuss whether they were, you know, whether they successfully uh, conceived a, a baby or not. But the targeted elimination of those potential allergens from his diet resolved her symptoms. It's it's, it's really interesting that. In, in a differential diagnosis situation, when it comes to a disease like this, like vaginitis, the allergies would even be a card in, in that game. Um, is that something that is considered most often, Gary, when a patient does have some sort of allergy? Uh, is allergies considered when it comes to, I guess, like yeah. STDs or um, instances like this? Yeah, I, I think it, it's certainly not high on the differential diagnosis of a standard vaginitis presentation. 
But again, uh, you know, like we've talked about so many times on this podcast, we have to go back to to the to history, right? And the the history of of symptoms and the relationship to to symptoms of different activities or ingestions. And so, when we have an immediate type of vaginitis that uh, occurs, you know, rapidly after sexual contact, that definitely raises your index of suspicion. But again, it's not high on the differential. We typically think of infectious causes to be, you know, first line. And, and with a study like this and a lot of the other studies, when a partner does have um, an allergy, it's important that their significant other also abstains from eating these these allergens or being around them as well. The, the weight of an allergy doesn't just fall on the person who has it, especially when it comes to somebody that they love and care for. It, it's if you are in a relationship and you are with somebody with a food allergy, it's important to remember that you have just as much high stakes and responsibility in keeping your partner healthy as they do themselves. And we see we see that again in um, an, another study where there is some cross-reactivity between uh, the partner's seminal fluid and uh, his significant other. Yeah. And in, in this study, um, or in this case study, Luke, I, I think it's important and to note that the partner actually did take quite a bit of responsibility in trying to prevent any issues. So, uh, you know, this this patient is a a female with a identified tree nut, specifically Brazil nut allergy. Her intimate partner was aware of this allergy, as you know, obviously she was, and took pretty significant precautions in preventing uh, transmission orally to the to the patient. So through kissing, he actually brushed his teeth. He made sure that you know it had been several hours after he'd eaten uh, uh, mixed nuts before before they had uh, intimate relations. You know, so so it was being very careful about about transmission of, of potential allergens. What he wasn't counting on was the potential of transmission of allergens through his semen, and that's exactly what happened in this case. Um, you know, she um, she experienced uh, pretty significant uh, uh, vaginal uh, swelling. Of, of both the vagina and the and the vulva, um, she had um, some near syncopal type symptoms. In this case, she did not get treated. Um, she, she took some antihistamines at home, and and the symptoms re- resolved after about forty five minutes. But they had you know taken precautions, just not the precautions of of it being transmitted through the semen. And in, in the way that it is transferred into the semen is is not wide, widely known or, or understood yet. But this study does make a suggestion, and they mentioned that because Brazil nut, which is what she was allergic to, has certain storage proteins that are heat and digestion stable, it might have gone through his digestive process. the The Brazil nut protein entered his circulatory system and made its way to his prostate and where his semen is produced. So that it, 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 this protein from a Brazil nut was able to go through his whole body and end up in, in his seminal fluid, which, which caused a reaction in her. And it, these, these proteins are found in a lot of different um, types of nuts. Peanuts have heat-stable and digestion-stable proteins. Um, other uh, sorts of tree nuts do as well. Yeah, that that's correct. And it, specifically in in Brazil nuts, we have a, a heat stable protein called Berry One. It's a two S albumin, and it's a storage protein. 
and as you said, not unlike other storage proteins. And we know they're they're very stable. Um, the one other interesting thing about this case is they went on to try to prove that it was indeed the allergen in the patient's semen that caused her symptoms by actually uh, designing a, a skin test. And they skin tested her with her partner's semen uh, both before he had eaten Brazil nuts and several hours after he had eaten Brazil nuts. And she had a significant skin reaction to the semen after he had eaten Brazil nuts and no reaction prior to eating the Brazil nuts. So they fairly conclusively demonstrated, right, that there was allergen being transferred after consumption of the Brazil nuts. And the study doesn't speak to exactly which protein in Brazil nut may be responsible. But uh, when reading it, I was really curious because uh, there is uh, Brazil nut component resolved diagnostic testing. And I'm, I'm curious if she had an allergy to one of those proteins found in Brazil. And for, for those who, who don't know what component resolved diagnostic allergen testing is, uh, we'll have an episode, actually the next episode of Aminocast, which will speak to it. But it's it's just, a, uh, I'm always so curious when when I read these, uh, these papers and they haven't uh, mentioned maybe what component may be responsible. Yeah. And I think we'll we'll talk certainly more in depth about uh, allergen components and and how they can really help to improve diagnosis and become more, you know, allow us to be more specific in our diagnosis and then also design more personalized management plans uh, based on that diagnosis. And, and nothing is more personal than intimate um, exposure <laughs> through sure. these through these different allergens. And again, I, we hope that these these studies and these examples brought forth the importance of having conversations with patients after testing, after somebody gets tested and you're able to diagnose a clinical allergy, um, looking at history as well, that you have a conversation around keeping food, if they're allergic to, like, let's say peanuts, keeping a safe distance away from people who are making stuff with peanuts, making sure that there's peanut-free areas uh, that you have access to. Um, But there's also a warranted conversation around intimacy and kissing and having that partner or their partner involved in those conversations. Absolutely. And we know that different patients have different thresholds, right? So especially for patients that have a very low uh, threshold so that they experience reactions to even small amounts of allergen, these conversations are even you know that much more important to have. And also including obviously a uh, sexual history and being comfortable with these conversations, I think is really important to keeping our patients safe. And, and if you want to read any of these case studies or um, papers that we we had mentioned today, they'll be available on thermofisher.com slash immunocast on this episode's page. Tune in next week for a component conversation and happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Uh, happy Valentine's Day and uh, we'll see you next time. Immunocast is brought to you by Thermo Fisher Scientific, creators of Immunocap-specific IgE diagnostics and FADIA laboratory systems. For more information on allergies and specific IgE testing, please visit thermofisher.com immunocast. Specific IgE testing is an aid to healthcare providers in the diagnosis of allergy and cannot alone diagnose a clinical allergy. Clinical history alongside specific IgE testing is needed to diagnose a clinical allergy. The content of this podcast is not intended to be and should not be interpreted as or substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Any medical questions pertaining to one's own health should be discussed with a healthcare provider. 